Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Create Your Life series, where we help you maximize your potential and results in the area of personal development, entrepreneurship, and travel. And I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown. Create your life. Create ta propre vie. Create your life. Create your life. Create la tua vita. Create your life. Don't skip your life. You better create your life. <laughs> create your life. Create la vie. Create your life. Create your life. Beautiful people, this is the Create Your Life series. I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown, and today is another amazing episode that we have with an amazing guest. So before we even bring her on, I want to let you know that she's a near and dear friend to myself, and we often talk about things that are not startup or entrepreneur-related because that's the type of friendship that we have. And we also talk about her son, who is actually like the size of a superhero. So... She's an amazing woman, and without further ado, I'm going to read you her bio. She has a master's in public health, is the founder of OKSO, an app that provides quick, personalized answers from experts to life's most intimate questions. She has worked in the field of sex education for over 15 years, starting as a sex educator at Babeland. While there... She taught hundreds of workshops and answered thousands of questions. She also spent many years working in the youth development at The Door, which is the country's largest youth development agency, serving over 10,000 marginalized young people every year. She has an extensive training and consulting experience around LGBTQ issues, pleasure, sexual health, and adolescent development, and a master's in public health from Columbia University. She is also an alum of the Startup Leadership Program and a winner of the Innovation Next grant from Power to Decide. Create Your Life family, please welcome Miss Elise Schuster. Elise, please say hello to the Create Your Life family. Hi, everyone. It's so awesome to be here. No, it's awesome to have you. I know this has been a long time in the making between us, getting you here, getting you on the show. So I'm ecstatic about having you here right now. Just to jump right in. You are a New York City transplant. Can you tell us a bit about growing up in the Midwest and making it out this way? Yeah. So I grew up in Iowa, which often when I meet people in New York, I'm the first person that they've ever met from Iowa. So that's always a fun experience. I grew up in a kind of medium-sized town in Iowa, but my mom grew up on a farm in Nebraska, sort of fully functioning farms. So our family has gone sort of farm to big city in just one generation. And I actually came out here initially for college, and my dad lives here. So I'd been coming to New York a little bit when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. So it was a place that was really familiar to me, and I always really loved the energy. And so it seemed like a kind of obvious choice when it came time to pick a college, although my mom was not as happy about that since I was leaving home. Right. And I'm thinking, you know, you went from small town, big city. What made you stay? I just love the energy of New York. And I, I think in New York, you can be literally anyone that you want to be. And no one looks at you funny when you walk down the street. And there's a, a level of actually invisibility here that is really comforting to me. You can kind of be yourself and do your own thing. And when you live in a small town, everybody knows who you are. Everybody knows your business. And if you're like everybody else, that's great. But if you're different, then it's really hard. And mm. I always felt a little bit different growing up. So I love being in New York because I get to be different. And there are like a million other different people here and nobody cares. Absolutely. And speaking of being different, what inspired you to want to jump into the crazy startup world? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is crazy. I think I, I was almost dragged into it just a little bit. But I wanted to do something different in the world of sex education and that meant getting out of the nonprofit world. And there aren't that many other places to go. So it meant kind of jumping into the startup world. I still, even though I've been doing it for a couple of years, I still feel like a little bit of an odd duck mm -hmm. just because my whole life was kind of nonprofit direct service work. And so being in the startup world remains a very different and new experience for me. Got you. And how do you feel like it differentiates or is different from what you were doing in nonprofit? Nonprofits are very driven by 
people first mm-hmm. and foremost, right? And you work in a direct service nonprofit. You like when I worked at the door, I had clients. There were young people in my office every single day, mm-hmm. popping down in my office who were suicidal, who were homeless, who needed something from me immediately. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of focus is just incredibly different from you know, starting your own company where you're talking to customers, but you're mostly just kind of like by yourself working on something, trying to reach like a goal eventually, mm-hmm. right? Or trying to create a product. Mm-hmm. Trying to create a product feels very different than here is a physical person at my desk who needs something from me this exact moment. So when you decided to jump out and leave your job, where were you working? I was working at the door when I decided to leave. And so you decided to leave. And what made you say this is the particular thing that I'm going to do? Or how did you know that this was a need that had to be solved? I knew this was a need from years and years of being a sex educator. So Mm -hmm. I I worked at Babeland for a long time, which is retail, but it's not really retail because it's a job where people are coming in and telling you the most kind of intimate parts of their lives. So it doesn't ever feel like it's a retail job. And when I was working there, what I saw more and more was that people had these like huge kind of questions and issues in their lives that were never going to get resolved during a five minute conversation that we were having with them kind of in that moment, that they needed something deeper and longer, that what I saw was how broken sex education is in the world that we live in today and all of the damage that that does when we become adults, right? And we kind of carry this baggage Mm -hmm. with us and it affects our every relationship that we're in. So I'd always wanted to really do something about that. And I'd been working on OKSO as a side project with one of my graduate school classmates. And he and I kind of had come up with the idea and been working on it. And we decided to really make the leap away from our day jobs when we were able to get some funding. And so that was really what kind of propelled us to work on it a little bit more intensely. Got you. And what was that like, the process of going and getting funding? I feel like every entrepreneur and startup founder wants funding, but some of us do get it, some of us don't. So what was that process like? Yeah, well, my process is really different than most folks. And I think it's a helpful thing to hear about Mm -hmm. because I think often when you're in the startup world, the assumption is that you have to go the kind of VC investment route. So what we were able to do was we actually got a federal grant. So under the Obama administration, the Office of Adolescent Health, which is part of Health and Human Services, put out a call for innovative solutions to teen pregnancy prevention. And there was a national nonprofit that applied for that money and got it. What they applied for was to basically run an incubator program for tech solutions to teen pregnancy prevention, which is a really cool idea. Absolutely. And so... We saw that kind of come out as a a thing that was happening and said, we should apply for that. And initially I was like, I don't think we're going to get it because we're not really doing teen pregnancy prevention. We're doing kind of comprehensive sex ed. We're trying to address really every single thing. So I think maybe we're too broad Mm -hmm. and we're really targeting 18 to 26 year olds, which is kind of teenagers. Right. So it didn't feel like we were going to be a very good fit, Mm -hmm. but we applied anyway. And it turned out that they were super excited about what we were working on. Mm -hmm. And so we joined an initial group of 10 Mm -hmm. and worked for a summer to Mm -hmm. basically go from an idea to a prototype. And then those 10 teams pitched a panel of judges, and then five teams got funding to continue on to go from prototype to launch. And we were one of those wow. five teams. And so we had we got a fairly sizable chunk of money without giving up any equity, which is a pretty awesome thing to have happen. Absolutely. And a bit unconventional at that. Yeah. Good yeah. So grant money, I think, is a really great thing for folks to look into if you have the kind of business that there's tons of stuff out there around manufacturing and there are all kinds of grants. So looking into that, I think, is always worthwhile because if you don't have to give up any equity, all the better. Absolutely. So you guys did this. You won the grant. What made you say, you know what, I want to go with an app? I feel like there are millions of apps out there, but you have decided to jump into the app world. Yeah. How did you make that decision? <laughs> you know, it's, it's how a did great you, decision. I feel like you yeah. put your cape on if you're going into the, the app world. You are. You are. I think when we initially started thinking about it, there weren't as many apps out there. And so that was kind of how it got started as that idea. But then as we started talking to users about what they would need, and we have both users and experts on Mm -hmm. our app. So that's something else is that we're really building for two different 
groups of people, Absolutely. which is can be a little tricky. Two different experiences. Exactly. And so I think what's hard for us is that users, I think, don't necessarily need it to be an app, but our experts do mm-hmm. because our experts need a level of customization mm-hmm. that you can't get from just building a quick text interface. The thing that I used to hear was, well, why don't you just do this through Facebook Messenger? And I had always said, I do not want Facebook to own this, right? I don't, I don't, I never want Facebook to have access to the kinds of questions that people are asking us. People are asking us incredibly personal things. People seemed a bit shocked by that until a few months ago when all of the information came out about how much data had been breached around Facebook. Absolutely. And then that made me really glad that we had gone on our own so that we we control that. Absolutely. My next question is, how do you manage your stake and liability for these people, the confidentiality and things like that? How are you making sure that people are protected and that their most sensitive questions and things like that are safe? When a user creates an account with us, they Mm -hmm. can do it anonymously except for an email address and a phone number. And then Mm -hmm. those we keep on protected servers. For their content on the app, they can choose a username. So they remain completely anonymous. That's awesome. Which means that even if someone were to, like, say, take a screenshot of their Mm -hmm. question and post it, it would be completely untraceable to them. So we wanted to make sure that folks, yeah, felt incredibly protected. And even the experts who are answering questions don't see any information about them. They get to choose everything that they want to share. I love it. You have a a master's in public health. Do you feel like that helped you and is helping you in your entrepreneurial journey as well as your experience? Yeah, absolutely. In ways that I think I didn't realize immediately, which Mm -hmm. is always kind of fun when you realize that things that have happened in your life are helping you now. So one of the biggest things that I think is really helping me is one of the focuses that public health programs often kind of place is around data collection and survey design and talking to the qualitative and quantitative research and things like that. And it's always kind of framed in a very public health perspective, but it's completely applicable. You essentially like take that and turn it into customer development. It's the same concept of like, how do we talk to people and gather information and synthesize that information? So it's been really fun to realize that I gained all of this knowledge in my public health degree. I think the other thing that my public health degree did was that it made me a very data-focused person, Mm -hmm. which is very helpful when you have a startup because you need to be constantly looking at numbers and you need to know what those numbers mean. You have to decide what you're going to measure, how you're going to measure it, and how you're going to know if you measured it. And those are skills that I really learned when I was getting my public health degree as well. Okay. Have there been any questions on the platform that you were kind of like, wow, I never expected to see something like this or to know, like, has any questions actually surprised you? I'm not sure if there have been questions that have surprised me. There have been questions that I have really loved Okay, that have given me a sense of hope in a way that I didn't expect. I think that when you're answering people's questions all day long, there are times when it can get a little depressing because most of what you're dealing with are parts of the world that are hard. But there have been a lot of people who are asking questions that are essentially, how do I figure out who I am? How do I love myself more? How do I cultivate happiness and stop comparing myself to other people? And it's been really fantastic to see all of that because I, when I think about when I was 18 years old, I don't think that the idea of self-compassion or self-love as a concept even really existed for me, right? It just wasn't, it wasn't a thing Mm -hmm. that you talked about. Mm -hmm. And so the idea that there are a bunch of like 18 and 19 year olds walking around feeling like, oh, there's this thing called self-compassion and I want to learn how to do that Mm -hmm. just makes me feel so warm and fuzzy inside because it's like, oh, maybe we're in this new, maybe there's like a new era, right? I think social media everything is a double-edged sword. So on social media, you can compare yourself more to other people, but I also think you can see people who are working against that and realize that like, oh, there's this other way of being. Yeah, absolutely. So you feel like the work that you're doing right now is in alignment with your purpose? Oh my gosh, 100%. Love that. Yeah, I can't imagine doing work that wasn't, Mm -hmm. I guess. It's, It's just kind of how I was raised, how I've always been is I don't think I could ever have a job that felt like it wasn't aligned with my principles. So what inspired you to get into the 
public health realm then? Is your undergraduate degree in the same or? No, my undergraduate's in psychology. So I grew up in a really conservative family in the Midwest, Mm -hmm. and I was not allowed to take sex ed when I was in high school. So that meant that I was really searching out everything for myself. And this was, I think at the time I was doing this, I had an Apple IIe, right? So (laughs) really trying to kind of find all of that information was challenging. And I became the go-to person that everybody was talking to. When I went to college, I majored in psychology. And I was pretty sure that that was the path that I wanted to go on. I wanted to do research on stereotyping and prejudice. I was like very clear about that. And then as a volunteer thing, I started working with the peer health education program on our campus and discovered that I really liked teaching workshops around health. And then I particularly liked the sexual health focused workshops. And I remember one workshop in particular that I just kind of had this moment where I was like, what if I could do this all the time? Is that possible? I don't even know if that's possible. And Mm -hmm. I talked to the woman who was the director of that program. And she said, kind of like, well, duh. She was like, why don't you just go get a public health degree? And and I was like, what is public health? (laughs) And I'd never heard of it. (laughs) And so then I started looking into that and realized that, yes, that was what I wanted to do. And I got my master's at Columbia, which is the only program to date still, I think, that has a focus on sexuality and health, Mm. as opposed to a focus on reproductive and maternal child health, which is a very different thing. So you can find tons of public health programs with reproductive maternal child health focuses but very few that are talking about LGBT issues, talking about pleasure, talking about safer sex. That stuff just isn't really a focus of a lot of public health programs. So what has been some of the uh, feedback that you've been getting on OKSO? Generally, I think people are feeling really grateful to have a place to ask all of these questions. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of folks who are in kind of complicated situations. And that's why we started OKSO, Mm -hmm. was recognizing that there's a Google gap, so to speak, When our lives get more complicated, especially around issues like sexual health and relationships and dating, that we can't always Google the answer to our question. And so often what folks say is like, A, it just feels really great to have someone to talk to and that it feels so helpful to be able to have a kind of back and forth conversation to really get to the kind of deeper issue that's going on there. So, yeah, it's been really awesome to see how grateful folks are. We follow up with users, too. So we're able to kind of see how things are going a, a couple weeks out. And that's always really fun. How does that work on the back end? Do you guys like have an auto reminder or are you even a technical founder? I'm, <laughs> I'm not a technical founder. Okay. I have a, a technical co-founder. We don't have an auto reminder, but the experts have their own section of the app that's different than users. And mm-hmm. so they're able to see the people that they need to follow up with and they can see the conversations that they had with them so that when they go back in, they can do a more targeted follow up if they need to. Right. So were you able to have that conversation with your partner about that thing that we were talking about, Mm -hmm. or you were going to get an IUD, your appointment was next week, like how did it go? Right. And I think it's amazing because this is on a volunteer basis. It is on a volunteer basis. So we, we really only ask people for 15 minutes of their day. So we call it micro volunteering. And the idea is that they're just kind of jumping in Mm -hmm. uh, and answering questions, but the experts work on teams. So that means that no one expert is responsible for answering a user's question. It's more like a group chat. So one person can provide a quick response and someone else can piggyback off of that or ask the user a question, jump in when the user responds. So it really kind of flows. So is the user aware that they have a support team? Yes. So they get to pick oh, the they so get cool. to pick the team that they ask a question of. What? So the teams are grouped based on topics. So when the user says that they have a question, they pick the team based on the kind of topic of their question. Then they can see all of the experts who are a part of their team and read little bios about them. And then they send their question off and then whoever can answer it first jumps in. That is so sweet. And are you answering a lot of the questions as well? Or I do answer the questions when I have time because I just I love it so, so much. I think it's just so much fun to answer people's questions. It's the reason why I got into this work. So one of the best parts about running this company is that I don't have to leave that piece of it behind. Sweet. Okay, so is the name of the company now. It was not the original name. <laughs> no. Can you share with us the original name and what inspired you to make the change? The original name was Boink, <laughs> which is a name that often makes people chuckle. <laughs> and it took us a long time to come up with, and it was hard to realize that we had to leave it behind. But we left it behind for a couple of different reasons. The first and most important one being that we heard from users 
that they weren't sure that they would want an app on their phone that was called Boink because they would be afraid that a parent or a partner might see it. They wanted something that felt a little bit less specific around sex. And so that, of course, if your users are telling you that, then you go where your users are. Customer development. 100%. And then the other thing was that we started to realize that actually we might not want to be entirely sex-focused as well, and that we might want to expand our topics. And we actually... A little bit ago, we added a like stress and self-care team, mm-hmm. which is now one of our busiest teams because it turns out everyone's really stressed out. So we changed the name to OK So as a way to kind of broaden that. And I love it so much as a name now because I think it really speaks to what I was saying before about complicated situations. That's how we start those kinds of sentences. So we will be talking to our friend and say, OK, so here's what happened. Right? Right. So I think it kind of lends itself to communicating what we're about very clearly in the name. Love that. You went through the SLP Accelerator. How do you feel the Accelerator culture helped you in your entrepreneurial journey and to actually evolve from Boink to, okay, so, so on and so forth? There are two main things that SLP was really helpful for, for me personally. The first was just content knowledge. As a non-technical founder, as someone coming from the nonprofit world without a business degree or having worked in finance, so many aspects of the startup world just felt alien to me. And I had, I think, a ton of and probably still do a fair amount of imposter syndrome around not Mm -hmm. being able to handle that stuff. And so being able to actually learn it from experts and ask questions and get help was so phenomenal to me. And it actually also showed me how much I had already learned Mm -hmm. when I got there and how much I knew, which is always really helpful. And then I think the second thing was really having an accountability practice, having a group of people that you could be vulnerable with, who you could share with, and who you had to show up every couple of weeks and say how far you'd gotten. It's really always helpful to have kind of those touchstones. I think you can get so in it that Mm -hmm. you pulling back and seeing that bigger picture every little bit is incredibly helpful. Love it. And SLP stands for Startup Leadership Program, Create Your Life Family. Just want you to know that. What are some things that you wish you would have known before jumping into the startup realm? I wish that I had known that everybody is winging it. (laughs) I think that often when you read things about startups or you read about successful businesses, you don't see the messiness behind them. You also often see only a couple of different paths. And the other thing that was so awesome about being part of the Startup Leadership Program was that tons of alums come back to speak and you get to see all of their journeys. And I think one of the things that I've always struggled with is that I don't necessarily think that we will follow the traditional startup path. And being able to see other paths from other founders, Mm -hmm. for me, has been sort of invaluable. So I I wish that I had realized how many different paths there are. There have been moments when I have felt kind of pressured to change what we're doing to fit that VC path. And Mm -hmm. I don't I don't want to do that. Right. So it would have helped kind of in those moments. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest things that we saw and heard from the alum that came back was just, hey, man. This was my way, but it doesn't have to be yours. And time after time after time after time, it was just being reiterated, reiterated. So, yeah, that's spot on. Anything else that you wish you would have known? I think also just recognizing that every industry, so to speak, has its pluses and minuses. Very true. I think it's after many, many years in the nonprofit world, I think I was a little burnt out. And so initially I was like, oh, my God, startups have it all figured out. And then I was like, okay, wait, hang on. (laughs) No, (laughs) right? I think there's so many things that we can all learn from each other. I think there are things the nonprofit world does really well and things the startup world does really well and some things that sort of regular corporate America does well. So just trying to kind of pick and choose from that and realize there's no one way of helping people. you got to figure out what is going to work right for you. So how big is your team and how did you go about assembling your team? We are small. So there's really just myself and my co-founder right Mm -hmm. now. Well, we started out with a different two (laughs) co-founders. So we have a little bit of a complicated story. So it started out with two non-technical kind of content expert co-founders, myself and my grad school classmate. And we had no idea what we were doing and we're trying to create this tech product with no experience and it was not going very well. And I'd been talking to my sister about it 
off and on for a long time. And she started talking to her boyfriend about it. And he was a full stack developer who was very interested in what we were doing. Mm -hmm. And so we started talking with him and he kind of came on board as a volunteer. Then when we got the grant, my initial co-founder who'd been the content expert with me was not able to continue on for some conflict of interest reasons. And so it became just the technical co-founder and myself, and it still is right now. And then we have some interns that we, you know, that we love and, and use very frequently for lots of fun things. But it's really just the two of us. You said something that I thought was hilarious. One day when we were riding on the train, we ran into each other. You said that your sister's boyfriend is kind of like double married. Yeah, <laughs> he is. Poor guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know, when you start a company with someone, you spend an incredible amount of time with them Mm -hmm. and you have a baby that you're working on together. And so I think it's very much like being, you know, people often say you're kind of married to your co-founder because you're having disagreements with them and you're working through difficult things with them and you have to compromise and you have to see the other person's point of view. And so he has spent almost as much time with me as he has with my sister and knows the two of us very, very well. <laughs> I love it. So he's got some interesting holidays coming up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's always funny when we're together, just like at a family event, because we'll we'll just kind of look at each other and be like, "What's up?" But we like don't we don't talk about work. Mm-hmm. So we will we'll talk about other things. But it, it's just yeah, it's always a very amusing thing because we'll see everybody else hasn't seen each other in weeks, right. and we saw each other like three days before. Right. Love it. And you've been on the phone for the last three days as well, leading up to Exactly. It was slacking back and forth constantly. Yeah. Love yeah. It. Always. I think he and I communicate more frequently throughout the day than he and my sister do, obviously. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I know we kind of compartmentalize things, mm-hmm. right? So he knows things about my personal life that she'll tell him. I know things about their relationship that she'll talk to me about, but we just There's a wall. There's a wall. Got you. Set those boundaries. That's important. Okay. So Elise. What would you describe or say was your defining moment, a moment that puts you onto the path to where you are now? The biggest one is when we were making the decision about whether or not to apply for the grant, for the incubator program. I didn't really want to apply because I thought that we weren't qualified. I thought we we weren't doing exactly what they wanted. We were maybe a little bit further along in the process. I thought that they would not take us and it wasn't worth the time that it would take to put in the application. But my co-founders convinced me otherwise. And we found out later after we got it that we were actually one of their top candidates the whole way through that they were the most excited about. So just goes to show you, you have no idea sometimes what you're doing. And so what do you feel like was the biggest lesson that you learned in that? And how did that help you to keep propelling forward? For me, I think it's about not necessarily, not assuming that you know what someone else really wants from you, Mm -hmm. so to speak. The things that I thought made us unappealing were the things that made us appealing, Mm -hmm. right? So sometimes the things that you think are your weaknesses are actually your strengths. And Mm -hmm. so spending some time kind of trying to figure that piece out, I think is really helpful. I think we, as a company that's like a sex company in the startup world, like we are weird. And there are a lot of people for whom that's a weakness, but there are some people for whom that is a definite strength, right? So finding those people who see that and are that's exciting to them mm-hmm. that that's the work you're doing i think is, is so helpful yeah people who champion what your cause is and your your mission and i think another thing that you said is you don't know what you don't know yeah right? you definitely don't know what you don't know we assume we've we have an understanding of maybe some, what someone else is thinking or feeling but just talk about what you're doing and get it out there and apply to things because you never know who's going to see the thing in you that you need to see or that you already know, but think no one else can see, right? You just have to, if you just sit there, nothing will happen. Absolutely. Okay. We'll create your life family. We will continue this interview, but first let's have a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Podcast Laundry, a podcast editing service that gives podcasters more time to be creative by handling the dirty work of editing and all of the behind the scenes work that podcasters hate. If you're a podcaster, check out our services and purchase a package today. Spend more time doing what you love and let Podcast Laundry do the dirty work for you. Visit PodcastLaundry.com for more information. How many experts do you have contributing to OKSO and how did you go about recruiting them? We have about 50 right now. Wow. And 
we started with our personal network. Mm -hmm. So myself and my initial co-founder, both being sex educators in the field, we really just started with people that we knew. Mm -hmm. And it's grown almost entirely word of mouth for experts. So it's either folks that have found us through the app or it's folks who found us through other experts. Mm -hmm. How do you balance for you personally being a great mom to Ernie, who I am like dying to meet, <laughs> and being a wife to your husband and a co-founder and, you know, you're active in the startup community, et cetera, et cetera. How do you balance it all? What are some of your keys and secrets? I don't know if I have any like deep wisdom here. I think that like most people who are trying to balance a lot of things, I'm taking it day by day mm -hmm. and I'm not always doing it the way that I would like to. And I'm, I think there's this idea out there that like there's some perfect way to balance everything. And I'm not sure that there actually is. <laughs> For me, I think the main thing that I try to do is I try to carve out time when I'm with my family and that time is sacred and I don't work. I don't, you know, with OK So, it's always on my phone. So it's so easy to just pick it up and start answering questions. But during the hour that we have in the morning together and the two hours that we have at night together, all of us, we are together. And then the rest of the time, if I'm, you know, I'm working or doing other things. Um, and then I think it's, you know, especially when you have a kid, you really need a partner who's able to step up and shoulder as much of the burden as you are and, mm -hmm. you know, do bedtimes and dinner and take on doctor's appointments and all the other things that come along with having a kid so that you can go to networking events and all the other things that you need to do. Okay. And your husband, is he a startup founder as well? No, or? not at all. He, uh, my husband is a public interest attorney, so he helps poor people with housing issues. Okay. Awesome. And so it sounds like you both have very busy careers. What are some of the keys to you guys' communication to make sure that you're on the same page? And if a disagreement arises, you're able to diffuse it quickly in order to move on for the greater good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We have worked really hard on this, and it's always a bit of a process. I think especially when you have a kid, that all sort of shifts. But for us, it's really about keeping our priorities straight, right, mm -hmm. and kind of recognizing that we're busy, but that we're coming at it with the best intentions, and that ultimately our priority is our family and making sure that our kid is getting you know, what he needs and that our family is getting what we need. So Sometimes that means like we have to table something and talk about it that night, right? Because we don't have time to deal with it in the morning. Mm -hmm. When sometimes it means dealing with it, you know, sort of over text or over the phone and kind of just finding creative ways to make sure that we're communicating with each other. We also often sit down over the weekend and kind of plan out the next week okay. and talk about kind of, okay, this is what I've got going on. This is what I've got going on. You know, this day is going to be really hard for me because of these reasons or this one, you know, I have a lot of meetings or for my partner, anytime my partner's in court, that's really challenging. And so just knowing kind of what's ahead for the week and I might be stressed this morning because of this, right? Mm -hmm. Just knowing that ahead of time so we can really show up for each other in the way that we both need. Awesome. And in that, when things arise that you were not aware of, like something pops up and it's kind of like, oh, my God, this is so stressful. How do you navigate that? Because, you know, it sounds like you have the plan for the week, but mm -hmm. then something happens during the week and you're like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe this just happened. <laughs> I mean, it's part of life, I think. And when you have especially when you have a kid, you have to learn to roll with the punches or like they're going to get sick. There's nothing you can do about it. They're mm -hmm. going to decide that they absolutely do not want to go do that thing, no matter how much you really want them to. And so part of it just becomes like maintaining some level of flexibility and understanding mm -hmm. that you just can't control everything, which is a really helpful thing when you run a company as well, because there's That's so much you can't control, Definitely. right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. How do you currently handle critics and naysayers of your career choice and passion of helping youth and young people answer tough questions and live healthy? Honestly, I don't run into that many naysayers. Mm -hmm. I think the funny thing about doing something around sexuality is that because the world is kind of not working so well when it comes to sex, almost every single person that I talk to is like, well, obviously this is needed right? mm. because I think almost everybody's walking around with questions or right. issues or concerns. 
If I were in a different part of the country, I imagine that I would get some pushback around offering this kind of advice to folks and being this frank with people. And it's just not something that I've encountered. But if I were to encounter it, the thing that I would say is that I think everybody deserves to lead happy and healthy lives. And that includes sexuality. It's just as much a part of our lives. And that actually there's some amazing research out there that shows that the earlier and the more sort of comprehensive the conversations are we have with people, the decisions that they make are healthier decisions in the long run. Right. So in the Netherlands, where they have sex education that is incredibly comprehensive, young people actually, the first time that they have sex, they're older than they are in the United States. Right. So it's when we hide things and build in a lot of shame and guilt and fear that people actually are more likely to have sex earlier, to get pregnant, to get STIs, because they don't have the information that they need. What is a company similar to OK Soul or that you kind of were inspired by their business model? Because I can think of a few, but I would like to hear from you. For me, actually, the company that inspires me the most is Crisis Text Line. Okay. I don't know if you've heard of them, but Nancy Lublin she started Dress for Success, okay. which provides clothes to low-income women who are trying to get jobs. Mm-hmm. And that's an amazing company. And then she came into DoSomething.org and like turned them around completely. And then she started Crisis Text Line after that because at Do Something, they got a text from a young woman who was being abused. And they were like, what? <laughs> like, we are not equipped to solve this. Crisis Text Line, I think, is just such an amazing example of taking a simple idea, which was like why people should be able to text someone immediately if they're mm-hmm. in a mental health emergency right. and get support and like really running with that. Okay. And who would you say are some of your sheroes that you look up to? Well, Nancy Lublin is absolutely one of them. She okay. is a total badass and I love her so much. And then my other main shiro is a woman named Natalie Molina Nino, who is a serial tech entrepreneur and has done some amazing work at my alma mater, Barnard, around entrepreneurship for young women and currently has a Series B investment firm called Brava that invests only in companies that are uplifting women. She spends her entire life lifting up, supporting and kind of validating and bringing up women who are doing amazing things in the world. And she is just incredible. Love that. Absolutely love it. What advice would you give to other young ladies who are looking to become co-founders or be their own boss, similar to you, or just like you, I'm sorry? <laughs> I think that there, we get so many messages in the world about what it means to be a woman and you know how you're supposed to behave and act. And so I think most of it for me is really just to realize that you have everything you need within yourself to do this and that even in those moments when it feels like you don't know what you're doing, that A, it's okay to not Mm -hmm. know what you're doing or you don't have to have every single thing figured out, but that you probably have it a lot more figured out than you realize. So keep pushing. If you weren't doing what you're doing now, what would you like to be doing or what would you be doing? Career, hobby, anything that you always wanted to pursue? Almost everything that I've done has been kind of in this world. So I think if I weren't doing okay so, I would probably be doing a lot of kind of training and consulting around these issues. But that's a boring answer. So if I could do anything else, like if I could kind of have another life and do it all over again, I've always wanted to be a Foley artist. Like the people who do the sound effects in movies. Really? Yeah. It's just like a thing that I've always found really fascinating because they take things that like in Jurassic Park, when the like little babies are being born out of the eggs, they're uh-huh. like using melon to make the like squishy membrane noises. <laughs> and I just, I've always thought it's so cool how they can take objects mm-hmm. from the, our world and make it sound like something totally different. I just think there's like a level of creativity there that I love. Have you ever seen, there's this guy who is responsible for like 90% of sounds or something like that. I saw this random, I don't know what I was watching one day. It might've been a YouTube video or maybe a Facebook video. And so this guy, he's like the go-to person for sound effects. And he's like in this room, like stepping on mattresses. That's what glass. I mean. That's yeah. that's who they are. But yeah. there's like one particular person who they were like, he's like the godfather or he's like the yeah. guy yeah. to do it. So. It's so cool when you see, I, I just think it's so amazing anytime you can kind of get behind the scenes like that. But mm-hmm. 
to see folks who are yeah taking like a pile of chains and making them sound like something totally different and your brain just goes with it i th- i just think it's really awesome i would yeah. love to do that job and something else that i thought was really cool you know watching a lot of the marvel movies the guys who are behind and the cgi and making everything so seamless when they start breaking it down it's kind of like wow what am i doing with my life <laughs> <laughs> like i should be a cgi artist or you know into the graphics and things like that so that's actually pretty cool <laughs> Was there ever any point that you felt like you wanted to give up on this journey as an entrepreneur? If so, when and why and how did you push through that point? I think there have been several points and I'm sure there will continue to be moments when I feel that way. For me, I think the biggest moment was right before we found out about the grant, when we were kind of in this place where everyone was working regular jobs and working on this on the side. We'd been Mm -hmm. doing it for a while. We hadn't launched yet. We didn't have money. We were literally sitting around having a conversation that was, should we fundraise first and then launch or launch first and then fundraise? But how much could we really do? Da, 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 right. And I kind of I was sitting in that conversation thinking, are we ever going to get there? Is any of this worth it? Mm-hmm. Like, maybe we should just all give up like enough. And then I think we found out that we had an interview for the grant maybe a week or two later. That was one of the lowest moments. And since we got the grant, you know, a little bit of a little bit of funding to work a little faster and push a little harder can make such a big difference difference. right? because it feels like you're a little bit out of that kind of slog. Hmm. It's confirmation. Yeah, absolutely. And it's nice to be around other people who are building things, too. I think that's the other thing that's so was helpful about SLP and helpful about the incubator program that we did was that we were with other people experiencing the same thing. I think mm-hmm. when you're in that moment and you don't know any other founders, you're like, oh, there's something wrong with me. But right. if you know other founders, you're like, oh, no, <laughs> that's just being a founder. You'll get through it. What has been the biggest personal challenge that you have needed to overcome in order to be who you are today? My biggest personal challenge is around the way that I was raised. I was raised in a household that really valued peace. (laughs) Peace, I guess I would say. You put other people before yourself. You don't rock the boat. Conflict is bad. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, worked really well to some degree in my family, but it's not that helpful in other parts of the world, especially not around being a founder. Mm -hmm. right? So I have a vision for what I want this to look like, and I need to be able to stand by that and articulate it, even if it creates some conflict, even if it means putting that before other things. And so that for me has been the biggest aspect of my life that I still think that I'm working on every day. And in your personal life at home, do you feel like you operate your household like you were raised or is it more so in this, let's all be completely honest and you know, upfront about everything? It's a mixture. (laughs) The thing about how any of us are raised is that you know, the way that we spend the first 15, 20 years of our lives, like that sets down patterns. Mm -hmm. And that's behavior that we learned over 20 years of time. So it takes time Mm -hmm. to change those behaviors as well. And so I think there are days when I feel like I'm doing a little bit better and days when I wish I'd done a little bit differently. But I try to remember that and kind of have compassion for myself as well and realize that like everybody's got stuff that they're working on, right? This is just, this is my thing that I'm working on. And the balance, you know, like you said, you said a little bit of both. It's important. Self-forgiveness is like the biggest. Huge. Yeah, absolutely. That's the only way you can really move forward. It's like, okay, you know what? I was this person at this time. Even if that time was yesterday, I'm not going to, I choose not to be that person, you know, (laughs) tomorrow or today. Who has been your biggest champion on your path to becoming who you are today? I have so many champions. I feel really blessed and really lucky. I think that my family has been incredibly supportive and my partner has been so supportive of me. I don't think that there's really one person. I think that I'm super, super lucky and I have like an entire team of people behind me. And I would also just like bring Natalie up again because I think that when I met her and got to know her, The fact that she believed so much in what I was doing. Mm -hmm. She was one of the first people who was sort of in this world who heard what I was doing and immediately was a champion for it. 
And that to me made such a huge difference. Like she believed in me enough that like, she just published a book and I'm in it. And that to me is crazy. So tell us about the book, what the title of the book is and your relationship with her a little bit more in depth, please. Yeah. So the book is called Leapfrog, the new revolution for women entrepreneurs. And it's 50 different hacks for women to kind of get ahead in business and what I love about Natalie is that the way that she thinks about it is that she's like, these are shortcuts, right? And it's okay to take a shortcut because everyone takes shortcuts, right? Mm -hmm. If you're born a straight white man, that's your shortcut. Like mm -hmm. you already got there, right? So these are shortcuts for the rest of us. And I knew Natalie because when she was doing work at Barnard, she started mastermind groups mm -hmm. of Barnard students and women who were adults who were running their own companies mm -hmm. to get together and again, kind of accountability groups to talk about what it's like to be a founder, what it's like to run your own business. And Absolutely. I was part of one of those groups. And that's how I initially got to know her. Okay. Now we're about to enter a very important part of the interview. <laughs> Elise, can you swim? I can. Okay. Because we're about to jump into the dolphin tank. I'm ready. All right. This is rapid fire. Okay. I'm sure. Yes. Okay. Here we go. What are your goal setting methods and how do you make sure that you are growing each year, personally and professionally? I set goals with my co-founder and we check in on them probably about every quarter or so. We just write them down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we're, pretty, we're pretty basic about it. But yeah, set goals and keep checking in. Okay. And how do you make sure that you're moving the, the needle? on those what does the check-in look like yeah so what i do it, on on my to-do list i have like my big picture stuff at the mm -hmm. top and then i have my day-to-day -day below mm -hmm. so that i'm always seeing the big picture so mm -hmm. that i never lose sight of it Love that. and then when we check in every couple of months when we're having a check-in we have we set aside time to do a bigger picture check-in to make sure what we do actually is we have what we call fantasy island so we both talk about our fantasy island, right? Like if we could have everything we wanted mm -hmm. at this moment for the company, for ourselves, for our personal lives, what would that look like? Mm -hmm. And for us, it's a way to kind of see if our fantasy islands are close enough to each other that we're still working together really well. Yeah. And, like, and sync. Yeah, because if your fantasy Love islands it. are like, I want to go live on a farm in Montana, then like we got some, we have some thinking we need to do. <laughs> I love that. That is awesome. And how about for you and your fam? How do you guys make sure that you're growing and moving? Mostly it kind of centers around the kiddo, mm -hmm. I think, and kind of figuring out where we feel like he's going and what he needs and how we need to respond to that. And we don't really have a system for that. It's more just the kind of day to day of whatever's coming up for him in that moment. Got it. Love it. OK. Top tech that you're using to make your business run smoothly. We're building our platform on React Native. So React Native would be the thing that's helping us the most right now. OK. Love it favorite quote or model that you live by? It's not as much a motto or a quote, but the thing that I find the most helpful is a concept that Brene Brown talks about, which is recognizing that everyone is doing the best they can with what they have. Mm -hmm. And it's not a way of absolving people of accountability, but for me, it's a way of finding compassion in moments when it would be hard for me to do so otherwise. She has an amazing TED talk, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, right? she does. She has a couple, actually, one on vulnerability. And then there's another one I can't quite remember. And she has a great one on the difference between sympathy and empathy. Mm -hmm. That's not a TED talk, but it's an animated thing mm -hmm. that I really love because she's like empathy is like someone's in a hole and you're getting down there with them. Mm -hmm. And sympathy is like, mm, that looks bad. Do you want a sandwich? <laughs> and I just, just always makes me laugh every time I think about it. Um, but yeah, this concept of doing the best you can with what you have, I think is really a way to help cultivate compassion for ourselves and to recognize that you can be doing the best that you can and still have things to work on. You can set boundaries, mm -hmm. I think, in a, a clearer, more compassionate way. Absolutely. Because I think we're always operating at our best at the moment, but we're not at our best. If right. That, if that sounds. Exactly. That makes sense. Exactly. So favorite or most impactful book that you've read? And if you have a few, it's fine. You <laughs> I'm a big reader. So like, I'm like, oh, my God, where do I start? But for me, it's really anything by Pema Chodron, the Buddhist monk. Okay. She has When Things Fall Apart, or not When Things Fall that's a different person, but she has a Things Fall Apart book. She has just a couple of different books about kind of being in difficult moments. And again, kind of cultivating self-compassion and remembering that life is a process, right? Mm. I think I'm the kind of person who... I find it harder to forgive myself. I hold myself to 
high standards. Um, and it's good to do that, but it, you also need to find flexibility and let go of some control and be able to find that love for yourself. And her books are this like constant reminder for me of how to do that. What do you feel like were some of the keys that helped you to relinquish some of your control? Well, having a kid is a great way to relinquish control. Um, but I wouldn't advise everybody to just run out. No, no, don't I'm, just I'm go totally have a kid. <laughs> <laughs> no, but tell us. I'm just <laughs> I mean, having a kid is you have so little control. You can't control who they are as a person. You can't mm. control the way that they come into the world. You can't control what kind of baby they're going to be or, you know, it's really about figuring out who they are and kind of taking a step back and mm -hmm. letting them be that person. And I think so many of us have childhoods that were hard because our parents weren't able to do that as well as they needed to maybe. So having a kid has definitely has been helpful. And I, therapy is great. I mm -hmm. love therapy, highly recommended if you can afford it and access it. I think having someone kind of hold a mirror up and offer some different perspectives is incredibly valuable. And then I think just trying to really surround yourself with different kinds of people, right, who have different worldviews, who see things differently, because I think that's when you realize that, like, oh, this person didn't do that and it all is fine, mm. <laughs> right? Like, they didn't control that whole situation and look, it turned out great. <laughs> so question for you, were you going to therapy prior to being a startup founder? I was, yeah. I've been going to therapy for six years, seven years now. Wow. I'm so happy to hear you talk about it openly you know oh, yeah. I mean? and, and just to hear people talk about how important it is to have that mirror held up to you so that you can move on. Because remember, we're operating at our best, but our, us operating at our best is not our best. Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. Highly, four stars. Highly recommend. Okay. Only four? Five. Ten. <laughs> Three jewels that you would tell someone looking to create their best lives. Self-compassion, determination, and love. Surrounding yourself with people who love you. Absolutely. What's next for you? Well, we launched in May. So for us right now, it's really just about getting the word out there and growing as much as we can mm -hmm. and trying to you know, turn it into something that we get to keep doing for a really long time. So for me, it's about helping my company grow and helping my kid grow and growing myself. Just growth all around. Okay. How can an expert get onto the platform to contribute and help? And what are the qualifications? So if an expert is interested in helping us, you can apply through the app. Mm -hmm. So you just download OKSO and under the expert tab, there's a place to apply. You can also email me, E-L-I-S-E at OKSO.co. The other thing that you can do is just find us online, social media. We're happy to take anyone who's interested. And we think really broadly about an expert, actually. Mm -hmm. So we do have folks who have tons of training and expertise on specific areas. We get questions about this type of birth control versus that type of birth control or specific types of STD transmissions and things like that. So there are absolutely things that require some training, things that I don't know the answer to. But then there are other things, I think, sort of some of the more relationship type things that people are dealing with or stress or self-care where... We don't necessarily have to have training in that area. You just need to be able to be a compassionate person, right? Mm -hmm. So an 18-year-old who is breaking up with their boyfriend before going off to college and is feeling devastated about it, mm -hmm. right? Anyone who's 30 mm -hmm. can offer some advice. Absolutely. Right? Because we've all been there but, and we know what's beyond it. Right. Right? So being able to be with them in that kind of moment of pain, right? And that feeling like your world is ending mm -hmm. and not diminish that or dismiss it, mm -hmm. but to also say, actually, guess what? You think your life is ending right now, but it is just getting started. Right. Just beginning. Love it. How can we keep in contact with you? Well, you can follow us on social media. All of our, all on all the social media platforms, we are Hey Okay So. So you can find us there and you can download the app if you want to and ask questions. If you've got them, we're more than happy to answer them. Okay. Awesome. Well, Elise, thank you so much for being on the show. Create Your Life Family. We are about to jump into the last part of the show, which is the turnaround. So what that means, as you all know, is that Elise is now in control of this interview and you can ask me questions and you can ask me anything and now I have to answer. So 
Elise, take it away. My only request is be gentle. (laughs) (laughs) Always. So I hear that you're doing 30 interviews in 30 days. And I'm really curious about what that experience has been like for you so far. So you are actually the first person Uh, of the 30. And the experience has been very cool, but it's been a little intense because now what we're doing is compiling the list of the people who we want, but we need them to actually reply mm-hmm. within this window of time. And then I'm trying to set boundaries around what times I'm going to go ahead and do the interviews. But in another sense, I'm like, no, let's just get the interviews done. And the reason being is, is that what we want to do now is we're actually looking at pivoting and changing some things, but we really want to have this content archive so that we could become better at marketing it and raising the awareness of the Create Your Life series. Uh, definitely we have the national syndication and things like that, but we want to really be able to project out and have a more systemized approach towards things because we're looking at people like John Lee Dumas, who's like one of the godfathers of podcasting. And, you know, looking at what he's doing, you know, he's releasing five episodes and some of these other people who are doing daily podcasts and doing podcasts and things like that. It's not a week to week thing. They're batching interviews and then having them edited and then it's planned out and systemized. And so it's just another way of evolving and really uh, moving things forward into the next level. But holding that mirror up to yourself and having others do the same and also going and attending the conferences. Like I went to the podcast movement conference down in Philadelphia. Absolutely amazing conference, but got so much insight and made so many new friends that I'm just like, hey, man, this is what it's about. And this is the way that we can do things and improve them for us as a brand moving forward, so. So what are you feeling like most excited about right now for Create Your Life? I am really excited about the December move because going to Africa and doing the interviews over there, I think it's gonna be so insightful and so enlightening. And I'm excited about these 30 interviews. I think that it's going to be a tough challenge. And I think it's gonna push me out of my comfort zone. Like today I have four interviews You know, you might end up with five. Yeah, so it's a lot, you know, and it's just a preparation and you have to be sincere and connected to your the person that you're interviewing the entire time. I find it to be fun because I love to have genuine, insightful conversations. And I feel like once, you know, you get in here and I'm asking you questions, I can almost I can ask you anything I want. You know, (laughs) I just think that that's fun. So I'm excited about this 30 and 30. So, yeah, it's going to be intense. I'm, I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> can I ask you one more question? You can ask me a few more questions. Um, what do you feel like you've learned about yourself from doing all of these interviews? One of the biggest things that I've learned is, is that I'm not the only weird one. Mm. So I've learned definitely not to live only in my head, that it's okay to ask for help. These things that I knew, but it's that other people are doing them. That has been really liberating One of the things, so I asked that three things that you would tell someone to create their best life. And one of the most frequent answers to that question is, is do what you love. And for me, I've always stuck by that. And there have been times where it was one of the hardest things that I've done. And other things look good, like those shiny objects. Mm -hmm. But I always still end up coming right back to the same thing. And those are things that have always been in my heart that really matters to me. And being around people that matter to me. So it's been just an amazing ride. But I think that that has been one of the best things is stay true to yourself and it'll all the rest of it will work out. And that, of course, the hard work, everybody is, you know, doing the work. Everyone is stressed and we're going through similar things, but it's, there's so much power in that vulnerability. And at the end of the day, when you're doing the work, that is what separates you from other people. And it's a marathon. They're trying to run a race, so they're not going to continue running the marathon. And You know, you just have to keep going year after year, day after day, hour after hour. If you set that goal, then just continue to to do it. It's been very insightful. Very, very insightful. We're 130 plus interviews in. Wow. (laughs) Continuing (laughs) to go. You know, with this 30, it's going to put us, you know, like we're going to hit that 200 mark. And it's so exciting. Super. Yeah. (laughs) Any more questions? How did you decide to do the podcast? I don't know if we've ever actually talked about that. Yeah. Create Your Life started off as a video series when I was going to Japan. And I was speaking at a foster care conference. And I felt like my life had kind of come full circle because me being the type of foster kid that I was to being the guy that people from around the world wanted to hear from to find out best practices. 
I thought that that was amazing. But going to Japan, not speaking the language, I had the idea to go to about seven or eight different cities and travel and all these things. And so it dawned on me that I'm have the keen ability to adapt to environments, but it's due to my upbringing mm-hmm. and that everybody else who are foster care children or who grow up in areas where they don't necessarily leave the city, the state or the country at all, they need to see this. And let me sprinkle a little bit of motivation in there for them so that they can know that this is possible. This is what Japan looks like. And now that you know what Japan looks like, get here and go somewhere else where you don't speak the language. Don't let excuses or the unknown stop you from doing what you what's in your heart. Mm-hmm. And so it started off as a video series. I created 10 episodes and these are like two, three minute videos where you get to see all of the scenery of Japan. And then I'll drop like, you know, 60 seconds of motivation in there. So I did that there. Then from Japan, I went to the Bahamas and then Dominican Republic. And then I did a California edition here on uh, WACR 90.3 FM. So I had the opportunity to be a guest on someone's show and the manager loved it, my interview. And so I was thinking about doing a podcast because I wanted to contribute to my audience on a consistent basis. And my god brother had been telling me to do a podcast since like 2006 and I was <laughs> not listening to him. He's like, man, you should really be doing a podcast. I'm like, and I don't know what that means. <laughs> and so... I came and I asked the the station manager and she said, I'll make space for you. You know, I think that what you offer is is amazing. And so that's what started it. So we started live on radio and then, you know, we were going from radio to podcast, et cetera, et cetera. And that's really how it started garnering and gaining, you know, traction. And so, you know, two plus years later, here we are. (laughs) <laughs> I love I love that story because it's such a great reminder of, again, like the, the idea that there are so many different paths mm-hmm. right? and that like you didn't start out to make a podcast. You started out to just help a specific population of people that you knew could use the knowledge that you had. Yeah. And then it's like organically kind of become become this. Right. It's such a yeah. I think we often have this idea that we have to like know exactly where we're headed mm-hmm. when we start. When, in fact, most of us have no idea where it's going to go. Nope. And that's the thing. It's just, hey, take the first step mm-hmm. and really just be committed to it. Be committed to your goal. and But take the first step and just go into the unknown. It's the unknown that kills us a lot. you know. And I think I was talking with somebody yesterday or the day before, and we were just talking about how a lot of people are alive, but they're really dead. Yeah. Because they're not living the life that they would like to be. And that's why the Create Your Life series exists is because we need to be alive and well and happy by living in our truth and with our real desires. I often say, go back to who you were when you were 12, when you were 16, and think about the dreams that that person had, because those are probably the real dreams that you want to be living. It's just that life came at you fast or people told you that they were unrealistic and you adjusted. Mm-hmm. But in your heart of hearts, you know what exactly it is that you want to be doing and what you should be doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we often I see a lot on OK, so folks who know that there's something difficult mm-hmm. that needs to happen, but they're so afraid mm-hmm. of it right? Mm-hmm. that we stay in situations or we stay in a place in our lives that is bad for us. Right. That yeah. is unhealthy for us because facing the reality of that can can feel so scary but that if we can you know that often i think it's not as bad as we think it's it feels like jumping off a cliff but it's not actually jumping off a cliff and that if we can take that first step and kind of into that unknown space that actually it all most of the time ends up being entirely better than we ever thought it would be absolutely you got to take the jump yeah yeah well elise thank you so much for being on the show today it's been a absolute pleasure Thank you so much for having me. I've had a blast. <laughs> Sweet. All right, Create Your Life family. That was Miss Elise Schuster with OK So. She definitely killed the interview, and we will be back with you next episode. Beautiful people, if you enjoyed this episode of the Create Your Life series, be sure to download it from our podcast, which is available on createyourlifeseries.com, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Music. Also, be sure to leave a review of the podcast. You can catch us live on Sundays from 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time via 90.3 FM in New York or on Facebook Live at facebook.com backslash kevbrown1. We encourage you to participate in the conversation on Facebook or call in at 212-650-6903. Follow us on Instagram at CYL Series and at Kevin Y. Brown. Be blessed, and we'll see you back here live next week. Create your life. 
propre vie. Create your life. Create your life. Crée la tua vita. Create your life. On skip your life. You better create your life. <laughs> create your life. Create la vie. Create your life. Create your life. <laughs> <laughs>